From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Kendall Seesmeyer, your host. The midterm elections are just around the corner. On Tuesday, November 8th, all across the country, we will vote for our representatives in Congress and in our state government. On the ballot, we have 435 House seats, 35 Senate seats, 27 Secretary of State seats, and many more positions to vote for. We know that midterms can be hard to piece through. There's a lot of information. Down-ballot races often don't get a lot of airtime, and many states have important ballot initiatives to consider. The ACLU is a nonpartisan organization, so we don't tell voters who to vote for, but we do inform voters about what's at stake in an election. So here's what's at stake. Abortion access is on the ballot, and so are LGBTQ rights, voting rights, immigrant rights, and criminal legal reform. To help break it all down, we have a special episode today that will arm you with all that you need to know in order to vote your values at the polls. Joining as our resident guide is Carrie Moss, the ACLU's acting national political director and the director of affiliate support and nationwide initiatives. Carrie, welcome to At Liberty. Thanks so much for having me, Kendall. So the midterms notably get less shine, which can affect participation and also understanding. So I want to begin with talking about the different kinds of roles that we could see on our ballots on November 8th. So I'm just going to talk about the different positions and you can just give like a one sentence explanation. The midterms are notably very state-oriented elections. So we could see governor. What is our governor? Our governor is our you know, chief elected official in the state and you know, uh, has the enormous power and responsibility to veto legislation that may come from the state legislature that uh, the ACLU supporters you know, would or would not support. Got it. And then what about attorney general? Well, the attorney general is going to be the chief state law enforcement officer. And obviously, this is an especially important position right now as we see more and more abortion bans passed in states. And we see some state legislature wanting to criminalize doctors and write the, you know, women who seek and secure an abortion. So the attorney general race and position is even more important right now than it's ever been. What about Secretary of State? Secretary of State is our chief uh, official in charge of state elections. And as we start to look at the presidential race of 2024, this is the person who is going to have enormous power in determining who gets certified, the election certification process to uh, Congress, as well as just the administration of elections and to make sure they are safe and secure. And how about state Supreme Court judges? I know that we all know who the Supreme Court is, and we talk a lot about Supreme Court judges, but I think lesser known are state Supreme Court judges. What do they do? State Supreme Court justices are the 
officials who interpret state constitutions. Everybody knows about the United States Constitution. Well, every state has its own constitution. And the state constitutions are one way that we can make sure that the right to an abortion is protected because state courts can interpret them in a way to protect women's reproductive rights and health. The state Supreme Courts may be the ones who are interpreting whether or not an election has been administered fairly and in alignment with the principles of the state constitution. So these races, uh, normally people have not paid a whole lot of attention to. I can't emphasize how important they are. Exactly. Moving down the list, state legislatures. So our state legislatures are the body that passes state laws, right, which may be vetoed by a state governor. Our state laws right now, that it's never been more important to know who you're electing for statewide office, that is for the state House of Representatives or the state Senate, because reproductive rights and healthcare hangs in the balance, because the integrity of our elections hangs in the balance, because the safety of our trans youth hangs in the balance. And then how about district attorneys? I know that a lot of people get district attorneys and state attorney generals confused. What is the difference there? Well, a state attorney general is the chief law enforcement officer in the state overseeing the whole state. But each county or city will have a district attorney that enforces laws within a much, much smaller jurisdiction. And how about, let's just do a group of them on our very local level, mayors, sheriffs, county clerks, and school board members? Again, all down ballot races, school board members, right? These are the elected officials who are deciding what books your children can read and whether or not your children can really learn about history um, or whether or not they're going to become tools and pawns in a partisan political gamesmanship. County clerks, they are the ones who are administering elections at the most local level. We saw in the 2020 presidential how important those positions are and how important it is that they put the constitution first, how important it is that they put first the idea that every person should have their vote heard, their voice heard right through the ballot box. County sheriffs, like local district attorneys, also administer our criminal laws. They decide who to prosecute. And mayors are going to set the tone for what values a community lives by and may have some important powers around appointing people to county clerk's offices or even to sheriff's seats. So to start with the issues, abortion is on the ballot. This is the first time we're really seeing abortion access be on the ballot since it was turned back to the states in the overturn of Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs decision that the Supreme Court gave this summer. So this is a really big deal. We're going to really understand what, hopefully, what voters are thinking when it comes to keeping open abortion access. So I want to start with our ballot initiative work. 
At Liberty listeners might remember our episode about the amazing organizing that was happening in Michigan to get a ballot initiative, Proposal 3, to be on the ballot in November. And we spoke back in September with a volunteer and retiree, Connie Cross, who was hard at work in Western Michigan recruiting people to get signatures to get that proposal on the ballot. But Carrie, now the proposal is on the ballot. So we have the second part of this fight. What can you tell us about our work in Michigan? So all eyes are in Michigan, Kendall. The initiative on the ballot is really an incredible, it will be an incredible achievement when it passes uh, next month. So first of all, it just protects the right to reproductive health care. It makes it a fundamental right. But it even goes beyond that to protect women's health care and pregnancy and birth control and prenatal care. After the Supreme Court decided Dobbs, we saw tens of thousands of people come volunteer in Michigan to help get the initiative on the ballot with over 750,000 votes, which is more signatures than any other initiative has ever gotten. So it just really shows you the energy and the momentum here. So fast forward, it got on the ballot in July, essentially. And so people have just been hitting the streets. I actually live in Michigan. So every time I leave my house, I go out and I see signs everywhere, vote yes on Prop 3. But the opposition is fierce and they are spending, at this point, we know of about $22 million to try to defeat it. Wow. So the polls look great. As I said, the energy on the ground is great. I think women and men across the state realize how much is at stake here. All eyes are in Michigan to see you know, what is possible and to see that we can, in fact, protect women's reproductive health. We can protect women's autonomy. We can protect women's equality. And it will have national ramifications uh, when we are successful. And what other states have abortion access on the ballot? Is it just Michigan? So we have very important states with abortion access on the ballot. In Vermont, there's a a ballot similar to Michigan's enshrining the right to reproductive health care in the Constitution as a fundamental right. In Kentucky, we are actually fighting an abortion ban. Mm -hmm. And I I'm feeling about Kentucky the way I felt about Kansas, which is that the average person does not like what the Supreme Court did in overturning Roe v. Wade. The polls show that this initiative, this ban would be defeated. We are seeing younger people, women turning out to register to vote in unprecedented numbers. So like Kansas, there's enormous momentum on the ground to defeat that ban. And then finally, in North Carolina, we are working to protect a 4-3 pro-choice majority on the state Supreme Court. Earlier, I talked about how important the races are for state Supreme Court justice, and this is why. There right now is a 4-3 majority, and if we lose that, the state legislature could very well pass a ban that the Supreme Court would uphold. Mm. And so we want to make sure that that can't happen. So you mentioned state Supreme Court judges being really important to protecting abortion access. What other positions should we be thinking about in either helping protect abortion access or even decriminalizing access if it's already illegal? 
Well, the, right now, the most important position uh, to protect women's reproductive health care in a state is going to be elected officials running for state Senate or the state House of Representatives. They're the ones who are going to either decide to, let's say, allow an old abortion ban, stay on the books. Similarly, you know, other positions that are so important are going to be the state attorney general, because if abortion is criminalized, the state attorney general is going to have a platform to politicize this issue, to politicize women's autonomy, women's reproductive health for their own interests, for their own political gain. And we want to make sure that the people we are putting in that office hold as a value that women's equality is paramount. And on the national level, it's also really important that we think about our senators and our representatives in Congress. Because on the podcast, we've talked a lot about the Women's Health Care Protection Act and other uh, legislative solutions that could potentially help us nationally. Do you want to give our listeners a little preview about that? It's so important to ask everyone running for office where they stand on abortion, and no more so than for those running for United States Congress, for the House of Representatives, or for the Senate. We don't know what these midterms are going to bring, and it is possible that the U.S. Congress could pass a ban, a new federal law. A national ban, yeah. Banning abortion. But there are also very important protective laws that could be passed. There's, you know, the Women's Health Protection Act. There are protections for pregnant women. So it's going to be a real game changer in November to see who wins in the House of Representatives and who wins in the Senate, because it could fuel momentum for either, you know, protective laws or punitive laws getting passed that will apply to every single state. Yeah, it's quite honestly, it feels like up and down the ballot, we need to be thinking about abortion access and where candidates fall on that issue in order to truly be able to say that we're voting our values and keeping abortion access open and safe. I want to turn to voting rights. We know from our recent conversations that state legislatures control redistricting. We have two really important Supreme Court cases this term that deal with racial and partisan gerrymandering that we've discussed on the podcast. But that's also only one element of election integrity. We also need to think about rules that make it easier or harder for someone to vote. So this is a two-parter, Carrie. What positions regulate access to the polls in a community? And what are we doing to expand access? Democracy is on the ballot. We know coming out of the 2020 elections that the basic integrity of our system of electing people to the presidency right into every office is at risk because of far-right election deniers. And so we have several ballot initiatives. We have other efforts going on around the country to really try to protect election integrity. The first one I'll mention is in Michigan. Um, their proposal, too, is a direct response to efforts to steal the election from in 2020 by 
doing things like ensuring that there are polling stations for every 15,000 voters, by funding prepaid postage for absentee ballots, by protecting the ability of those serving the military overseas to have their vote counted within you know, a certain number of days of, of the end of the election. So these initiatives build on actually a really incredible ballot initiative that passed in 2018 in Michigan that allowed for no excuse absentee voting and same day registration. And this year, in the form now of Proposal 2, we have these additional protections that have passed will really make sure that Michigan, a battleground state, right, is able to roll into the 2024 presidential elections with some sense that our, you know, every vote will in fact be counted. Probably the most important position to look out for if you care about election integrity is your secretary of state. And in, in a number of states right now, we are out there uh, trying to get candidates on the record. Where do you stand on the big lie? Where do you stand on election integrity? What will you do to protect the right to vote? Do you support early voting? Do you support no excuse absentee voting? And asking them very specific questions to test where they stand. The second position that's really important are county clerks. They're the ones who on election day are running the program. They're the ones counting the votes. They're the ones taking care of the voting machines. We need to know that they do not have a partisan agenda, that what they care about more than anything is that every vote cast is counted. Who we elect to um, our state legislatures, to the Senate and the House of Representatives, is also so important for election integrity. First of all, they're the ones who can pass laws, uh, you know, voter suppression laws that make it harder to vote, right? Or they can pass expansive laws that make it easier to vote uh, and give mm-hmm. us more time, right? Make it easier for elderly and disabled people to vote. So the state legislatures are key here. Yeah. And I think it's so important that we pay attention to those roles. And I think they're so undervoted for usually. And also sometimes people are running uncontested, which I think is also an issue. So it's really important that we are just all very aware of this, that we do our research, that we vote our values. I want to turn to really quickly touch on our right to learn work and concerns. So we're concerned about education gag orders, book bans, and censorship in schools. If we're concerned about this government encroachment on what is taught in our schools, what positions are important to focus on, Carrie? The most important positions for public education to focus on right now are those for school board. And those, you know, again, tend to be positions that don't get a whole lot of play in the media and spending some time to find out who you're electing. These are the positions, the school boards are the ones who are deciding the budget of the schools, right? And they can punish or incentivize learning. They're the ones who are hiring and firing principals, and they're the ones who are setting policies in school districts. It is the hallmark of our democracy that we have a public school system that treats all children, that provides them all with the same opportunity, the same access to information, the ability to learn to be critical thinkers. Mm -hmm. So the school boards are positions that I think kind of fell out of popular view and we're bringing it back. Yes, we are. And I think it's really important that we also think about these issues as an offense. Like we don't have to actually sit by and just defend what is happening. We can actually just, we can actually fight 
affirmatively for expanded education and accurate representation of our history on both race and gender issues. I want to turn to criminal legal reform. One of the scariest things that I've seen play out across the country, even in getting my own kind of texts or mail to my parents' house, is a lot of fear propaganda about rising crime. A call for both a more robust criminal legal system and more police in our communities. Can you give us a refresher on this notion of overcriminalization in America and if we are actually interested in decriminalizing things like low-level offenses and in keeping cops out of places that they don't need to be, what are positions and things that we should be thinking about when it comes to time to vote? This whole narrative around crime, I think, is a distraction. It's an attempt to distract voters actually from voting their values. It's meant to incite fear. And it's not based on any real social science data. Instead, what we're actually seeing is trends. The public does not want to see people put in jail for low-level crimes. They don't want to see them put in jail for marijuana possession, right? or other nonviolent crimes that we know, in fact, you know, are not a threat to our communities. And there's been enormous pushback. We have seen uh, state after state is finally beginning to take on bail laws and reform them. It's a priority of the ACLU has been to reform the whole bail justice system. We're seeing that result in far fewer people having to go to jail for, again, low-level crimes. So uh, overall, what we're actually seeing are trends away from this punitive approach in our you know, criminal law system. Local district attorneys have a lot of power. It's not always visible, but they're the ones who are deciding whether or not to prosecute a case. Right. They've got huge discretion, and they are the ones who can decide that rather than put somebody in jail, maybe they need to be referred to a drug treatment program, or maybe they need emergency housing assistance, yeah. uh, right? Or maybe they need a food shelters uh, and other kinds of social services. So look to see whether or not your district attorney, those running for the district attorney offices, what is their view on prosecuting low-level crimes? What is their view on their responsibility to help make sure there's accessible, available drug and alcohol treatment programs in a community? You'll learn a lot about whether or not they live our values. And also just one other note about immigrant rights. What position should we look out for when we're thinking about ensuring safety for immigrants and refugees living in our communities, safety from deportation or retaliation from ICE? You know, the role of local police is really important to our immigrant communities because local police can decide whether or not they're going to collaborate with the federal government and federal immigration officials. And there are these federal agreements called 287G agreements that some police departments will opt into and others won't. Mm -hmm. And we don't want them opting into these agreements. It's important to learn whether somebody running for police chief supports 287G agreements and supports working with ICE officials. We know that when local police collaborate with federal immigration officials, that it drives immigrants underground. And also sheriffs, right? Thank you. And sheriffs, too. Yes. 
And then our final category is LGBTQ rights. So we know based on the overturn of Roe and the national dialogue that has ensued since, even hints in the opinions of different Supreme Court justices that gay marriage could be at risk. What kind of legislation could solve for that and what positions should we be thinking about in order to protect something like gay marriage? So that's a hard tea leaf to read. But what we do know is that state legislative officials, right, do have the power to protect the right to gay marriage, to protect the right to LGBTQ equality, um, to protect our trans children through the laws that they pass. So it's so important, again, to know who you're voting for, running for state house or state senate. And also on the national level, we've seen legislation be proposed the Respect for Marriage Act that actually didn't come up before the midterms and they said they were going to hold on it until after the midterm elections. So that's another way that we can vote our values when we, we think about people who in Congress will pass the Respect for Marriage Act. And finally, we've just kind of knocked through so many different issues. And I think the aim is really that this helps people understand more about what they're actually doing when they're going to the polls and how they can kind of connect these issues that they really care about to politics. Because I think oftentimes our political show that we we see in our dialogue that we see happening across the country really sometimes can feel divorced from the actual issues themselves. So we really wanted to needle in and tie these issues that you care about to positions that you can actually vote for. Do you have any tips or tricks to help us further? What are resources that the ACLU has put together for people who might be looking for more? We have a lot. Please go to the ACLU.org website, to the Votes Your Value page. There is an enormous amount of information, conversation guides, election guides, know your rights guides. Each one of our state affiliates will have voter protection information and ways to get involved. We really want your help. We want you to sign up for People Power. Help. What is People Power? So People Power is our kind of volunteer system. It's a way that will engage anybody who would like to help us. They can uh, sign up, get on board with phone banking or texting, right, or organizing an event in their community that supports one of the issues that we've prioritized. But there are lots of ways to get involved, and it can be by joining as an ACLU member. It can also be by signing up as a volunteer And also a good thing to think about that we can personally do is talking to our friends and family. I think that can be some of the most effective ways to move the needle on issues in our communities is just having those conversations. Do you have any advice for people, maybe from your own life, about how to have some of those harder conversations? I'm so glad that you mentioned how important it is to talk to friends and family because that is actually, we know how we change hearts and minds. And sharing personal stories and why an issue matters to you and why it's important to how you live and show up in the world can really do more than 
a million dollars worth of ads, ad buys, right? It's really these one-on-one conversations. There's a data out there to show it. And we count on you. We count on you, our listeners, our supporters, to talk to your friends and talk to your family. We know you more than anybody have the ability to change hearts and minds, especially if you can share what matters to you and why, what your values are, and help them get you know to vote to vote your values. Awesome. Carrie, thank you so much for helping break down all of this information. As you mentioned, uh, if people want to see this in hard copy or at least digital copy rather, you can visit aclu.org slash vote your values. We'll put that in the description box for the episode. You can print out conversation guides. You can learn about all the different roles that we talked through. You can look at and see what kind of ballot initiatives are going to be on your ballots on Tuesday, November 8th. And just make sure that you guys all get out to vote. Thanks so much, Carrie, for joining us and helping us break it all down. Thank you, Kendall. And thank you, listener. Thanks very much for listening. If you are ready to get involved, there's still time left. Our ACLU People Power volunteer teams help mobilize and organize communities all across the country in defense of our civil liberties and civil rights. Sign up to take action this election season by making calls or sending texts to voters. You can sign up at aclu.org volunteer. That's aclu.org slash volunteer. As always, please be sure to subscribe to At Liberty wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. We really appreciate the feedback. Until next week, stay strong.